Welcome to yet another Sake Deep Dive, the podcast for the beyond beginner. I am Jim Ryan, joined once again, as always and forever, by my friend Andrew Russell. How you doing, Andy? Good, Jim. Yourself? Doing all right. I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for the the buds to bud and the blossoms to blossom and the the birds to come back. How are things? How are things in the brewery? Yeah, everyone basically the same. Can't wait for spring. Can't wait for some uh, sake under the hanami uh, or sake under the sakura, I should say. Yeah, hopefully it's just around the corner. Hopefully. Apparently, apparently the, the the plum trees are blossoming. So I haven't that's seen right. Any Hiroshima, but the plum trees. Uh, we have a we have a really nice plum garden. Like it's a whole mountain just covered in in plum trees, and uh, it's impossible to get parking around there during this season, but hopefully we'll get a chance out to see see it before the petals fall. Yeah. And there is nothing better than drinking under these trees or, or the Sakura, in my opinion. It's yeah. It's just one of the, one of the highlights of the year. Okay. So let's get to the matter at hand. You you chose a good topic for us this time, Andy, and I think it's going to be ample pickings for the the sake nerds among us you want to share our topic for this episode yeah this is a really geeky topic i'm pretty sure this is a topic that is going to interest a lot of people because it seems to be a style of sake that everyone loves but probably they don't get to drink very often and it is of course bodai moto ah don't you mean mizumoto no (laughs) no i do not mizumoto is not Bodaimoto. <laughs> so there's our first bombshell of the night. Right, okay. And we will we will come back to that. I won't yeah. just leave that as a cliffhanger. Have to... um, but yeah, they are two different styles. So hopefully by the end of the evening, we can get a chance to explain why they are not the same thing. Okay. So let's get started. So I think people who would be listening to this podcast have probably heard of Bodaimoto, but just so we're all clear, when we talk about this, uh, we are talking about a particular style of starter, like when we're talking about uh, Kimoto or Yamahai or Sokujo. But it is, it's a relatively unique one. And it, it has a lot of, I guess you'd, we'd almost call it mythology built around it and then one of the things that i'd like to do tonight is is sort of pare away a bit of that mythology and just get to uh get to the core of the matter so maybe we should start with that so when we talk about bodaimoto what are we talking about andy well i kind of wrestle with this subject quite a lot because i have come to terms with the fact that it is a style of making moto but you could argue that it it also isn't a style of making moto it's two separate processes one being the the first recorded technique for creating lactic acid which as we know now is very very key to to sake brewing but bodaimoto i guess it's the prototype for making yeast starters or shubo or moto whatever you want to call them and it calls for a very very unique peculiar even technique where before you start actually doing any brewing you take rice in a couple of ways to do it but you take rice in some way shape or form and you let it sit in in water until that water becomes sour water what they call soyashimizu and then yeah that is a key term and it's a key element of defining it in the modern sense and also in the historic sense as well but what that what that does 
is it creates a fermentation of lactic acid bacteria, which they then separate that off and they then use that in the in the next stage as you would more conventionally in you know making a, a an actual yeast starter so i actually in my when i first started you know getting in sake i used to always say that actually bodai moto is the uh, the prototype of sokojo uh, you know fast mm-hmm. brewing because they have that in common when you get to the point of actually putting the main ingredients together it's you're putting lactic acid in from the beginning so whether you agree with that definition or not the fact remains is that is the case both sokojo and bodaimoto have lactic acid put in from the beginning when you get to that stage but with bodaimoto you literally do it yourself so it is a very very unique method to make a yeast starter i think to to sort of drive home a little bit uh, how really sort of amazing that is we're talking they they were they developed a way to make a strong lactic acid solution using natural ingredients like a thousand years ago right the the very first mention of this bodai moto bodai sen sake is from a a, a text called the goshu no niki uh, i think people translate that as the sake brewing journal which it's dated somewhere between 1355 and 1566. It's very old. Yeah, they're not sure when, like a lot of these texts from, from back then, they don't know the exact date. In fact, they don't know precisely when it is within 100 to 150 years. But it, it is highly regarded as a, as a historic resource for sake brewing and often uh, heralded as the first documented textbook regarding sake brewing and we're going to get here to to sort of a a crux of all the things that we're going to be talking about tonight and and that is the name it has a very unusual name for this kind of thing because typically a lot of these names refer directly to sort of the physical processes right like a, a nimoto is is a hot like it's a stewed source but bodai comes from a very different source that's going to play a lot of important roles in, in the in the discussion and that is it's a it's it's a religious reference more specifically right so you want to you maybe you want to go into that a little bit because this is you you've been doing a lot of homework for this episode yeah th- there does seem to be some confusion or not, maybe not confusion but there the, the facts don't always align even among some of the major players amongst this. Mm-hmm. But the, to go right back to the beginning, Bodai Moto came from what was called Bodai Sen. Now, th- this was this was a brand that was made at a, a very specific temple in Nara called Shorakuji. And the mountain uh, that this temple sits below is called Bodai San or Bodai Sen. I couldn't really actually work out which was correct. Yucho Shuzo's website says San, I think, and everyone else has said Sen. But the the kanji for Bodai Sen, I, I don't know if I'm the only one that's seeing this, but it's quite clearly a reference to the water and not the mountain. So I'm guessing that the original brand name, because bear in mind, this is a brand name, Bodai Sen. 
it's very specific that they use the water and the kanji for it is the i mean you you know these things better than me but the the kanji is for like spring or well so to, to me that's where the name comes from it's the the, the bodai sen and that's the brand from that temple at shorakuji yeah this is going to get a little bit into this the the, the propensity for kind of wordplay right so as you mentioned andy the mountain Typically, we would pronounce that Bodai San, but there are times when you pronounce it Bodai Sen as well. And just from the propensity of all of these different sources, I think Bodai Sen is how people in that area would have said it. And then, as you said, the brand name uses the kanji for a spring, a source of water, which can also be pronounced Sen. So I think when they originally named their the sake that they were making at this temple at the foot of Mount Bodai at the foot of Bodai Sen, uh, using this spring water from the mountain, it just seems natural to use Bodai Sen because it's referencing both the spring and the mountain. But the sure. kanji in in the tie in, in in the brand name was in fact the kanji for spring, and and I, and I think it's important for everyone to, to catch that we're talking about a brand name. We're talking about a commercial product. This is going back to a point in history when uh, Buddhist temples, particularly concentrated around Nada, but not only concentrated around Nada, right, it, it, all over the country, uh, Buddhist temples were centers for sake brewing, right? They were places with uh, lots of rice. They were, they were sort of parishioners and wealthy patrons would give them rice because at the time, of course, rice was a, a kind of currency. They had excess rice. They had uh, a lot of people and these temples were, were quite prosperous and people would come to live there and, and people wanted to be monks. And I think, you know, some of these temples had up, up, upwards of a thousand monks living and, and working on the precincts. And they were also centers for education. Buddhist temples had lots of connections to mainland China and Korea, which obviously we're talking, you know, a thousand years ago was one of the most advanced scientific and cultural centers in the world. And you have highly educated, wealthy population of people who don't really need to worry about how to make a living. They've got all of this rice. They could turn it into sake. And they did. And as opposed to sort of the, the Shinto tradition, where sake is part of the sacrament, right? It's, it's, a, it's a sacred thing. In the Buddhist tradition, the monks can't actually drink, technically. I, I say technically because uh, I don't know about you, Andy, but I've been drinking with Buddhist monks quite often here in Japan. So, you know, I did the, the, the 88 temple pilgrimage in Shikoku and uh -huh. I drank nearly every night. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of alcohol in and around that pilgrimage. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I, I don't want to sort of get too far off topic, but mm -hmm. there, there's a very interesting documentary. I recommend it to anyone if they've got Netflix, and it talks about the the age of the country at war, the, the Sengoku Jidai, and it focuses on the, the, the so-called three great unifiers. And there is a part they talk about, you know, people's perception of these Buddhist monks and the actual reality of you know, what was actually going on in these institutions. These were highly commercialized, highly politicized, often downright belligerent organizations that had vast armies. You know, the, I think the name for them was the Sohei. 
um, you know, these were warrior monks and they were they were very, very powerful and influential in, in all walks of life in Japan. So it might sound surprising to talk about, you know, as you said, Bodai Sen was a brand, a very popular brand. But back then, this was this was very normal. That that is that's what it was like for these religious institutions in Japan. So it was a commercial endeavor. It, it wasn't like Omiki at a shrine, which was something made to serve the gods. It was something made to sell, and the brand name was Bodai Sen, and it got quite popular. It got popular enough that people started to copy. It got quite popular, and it was not the only popular soboshu, they call it, the only popular monk-made sake from this period. Other names exist. Uh, Yamadaru is one name. Yamato Tafu no Mine Sake was another one that, that you can find in documents, right? And Bodai Moto was not the only form that people were using to make their sake. They were using uh, some Nimoto. They were using other styles as well. But this style of making that separate batch of soyashimizu lactic acid solution for later addition, uh, it caught on. So we have this commercial product, and it was basically the center for sake brewing industry for centuries, uh, well into the Edo period. Um, obviously, you know, we have waves of up and down, right? And these brewing monks contributed a lot to brewing techniques like they they made innovation they did a lot of quality improvements primarily because like i said they were educated and they were wealthy and they had the time and resources to devote to it yeah i mean they they really laid the foundations for modern brewing there there's no doubt about that and that is why many people consider nara to be the birthplace of modern sake there's a couple of arguments which we won't go into tonight about who really deserves that title. Is it Itami or is it Nara? But their claim centres on on all the wonderful innovative brewing techniques that that came from you know the Nara region and from, and not just the Nara region but from these Buddhist institutions. But they 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 had a limit, and there was a clear passing of the baton, probably unwillingly as the Edo period starts, I mean, first of all, as I said, these these monks, these warrior monks were very, very powerful institutions and they were a great threat. I, I suppose it would have been considered one of the, the greatest threats to to the authority of these daimyo, these, these warlords at the time. And Oda Nobunaga, one of uh, the, the first, you know, great unifier of Japan, really decimated them. I mean, he, he, they were top of his priority list. So that obviously doesn't help their them as being these big brewing institutions. That was a real knock for them. And then obviously going into the Toku, Tokugawa period, Tokugawa Iyasu effectively made himself the, the center of worship. And they marginalized these Buddhist institutions and, and weakened them. And as that happened, you see a passing of the baton to these more commercialized, I guess, professional brewers in Setsu province, you know, Itami, which later got passed to, to, to Nada, which is now and remains one of the biggest brewing, well, the biggest brewing region in the entire world. So, so that's the kind of flow of that technology. It comes, as you said, from China into these Buddhist institutions. They make this system 
but by the time it gets you know made on a commercial scale you know they're making things in ceramic vessels uh, you know these kame or tsubo as they're as they're called they're limited in what they can do but when it gets passed to itami you start to see you know kiyoke wooden tanks and and large scale production so so that that's the the transition effectively and in that transition these techniques did not die off right people still preserved those styles of of, of making sake so this idea of the, the soyashi mizu and and the bodai sen it didn't just disappear no ab- absolutely and and obviously that that much is correct bodai sen you know bodai moto comes from bodai sen key differences are bodai sen was was not stage mashing it was just one you know one stage or one dan if if you like <laughs> there was no stage mashing then i guess another big difference was they didn't use just raw rice they used cooked rice that's something we'll we'll come back to in a minute as to why people's perception nowadays or it's widely believed that you know bodai moto equals raw rice would actually originally originally didn't but through that you you do get the progression to to making a moto which you know when it gets moved into these bigger tanks there would be a huge amount of spoilage if you didn't do dan kake as it's called or three stage or four stage or five stage mashing that's why I'm not saying three stage mashing mm-hmm. is it's not always three stage, but it all comes from that original one stage bodai sen, and it kind of all transitions, uh, you know, in, into the Edo period. But yeah, it, it is the roots of all that kind of, you know, new technology that, that flourished in the Edo period. Yeah. And so as we have transitioned into that commercial, that sort of more large scale commercial production of sake, yeah, we get into the, I guess we, we might call it the classical period of, of sake brewing in the Edo period where we've got those toji from Itami and then later Nada making lots of things. And if, if you listened to our Kimoto episode, then you know that that's where these kinds of brewing styles really flourished. All right, and, and that Domo Shuzoki, which it's dated early Edo period around 1686 or so, it talks about things like these different motos. It talks about Bodai Se, Bodai Sen motos, and it talks about uh, early styles of Kimoto. And, you know, this is actually where I think that idea of, of the Mizumoto comes in, and, and Andy wanted to clarify. How is Mizumoto different from Bodaimoto then? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously it's important to, to point out what we're, you know, what period we're talking about there, as you said, the early Edo period. So at this point, when this book was probably written, winter brewing would not have been a thing yet. It would have been brewed almost all year round. I think the only time they didn't brew was in the, the absolute peak of the summer. They wouldn't have brewed then. But Bodaimoto, although Kimoto is, of course, synonymous with the Edo period, it was the new technology, it was the new method at the time. There are mentions throughout the Domo Shuzoki about what they call Bodai Sho, not Bodaimoto. Bodaimoto is not written anywhere in Domo Shuzoki. It's Bodai Sho, and it's the same kanji for, like, nature, gender. So you have it in, like, Jose or Danse, like, male and female. And... 
yeah, that that is the the kanji that they attach to the back of bodai moto, bodai sho. Yeah, the domo shuzoki, the, the thing that we mentioned before about mizumoto and bodai moto being different is they are clearly marked as two different styles of moto. How they differ is not written in any great detail, but it does mention that this is getting to the key of what this was. When you make that lactic acid starter for the starter, I guess, that solution of lactic acid, it's advantageous to have warm weather. It's advantageous for it to be warm out. And this is all written in the Domo Shuzoki, that it was specifically they used this method because they had new, new methods by this point. It wasn't the only game in town. They used this for when they wanted to make what they call Shinshu or new sake. And that would have happened in the, the beginning of autumn is when they would do it. As I said, they didn't brew in the height of summer, but they brewed every other season out with that. And Bodai Moto, or Bodai Sho, as they called it, was specifically for that, because the warmer weather suits that lactic acid solution. It means they can make it quicker than they would have done if it had been cold weather. Mizumoto is differentiated from that, and it was actually a cold weather starter. So they used that when it became winter, and you know the, these are these are clearly marked, you know, by their kanji. Um, I think it's Rishun and Rito is what they say. So mm -hmm. like the, the the beginning of winter for Mizumoto and the beginning of autumn for Bodaisho, and even even the translator in their notes has has noted. I'm still working on exactly how the uh, Mizumoto differs from modern-day Kimoto, Kimoto, but it is noted that Mizumoto is actually an early version of Kimoto. Now, the, the person who translated this is a very respectable professor, I think, at one of the Kyoto universities. They're well-published. They have numerous books on the subject of sake, but not just that, but, you know, koji and other crafts within Japan. So it's a very reliable source. But even further than that, the, the very famous Toji Ishikawa Tatsuya-san, it was him that actually brought this to my attention initially. I heard this in a lecture that he did for the Hiroshima Toji Association. According to him, Mizumoto is kind of like Yamahai, but not quite there yet. So it's like they were kind of flirting with, with the Yamahai method but they just didn't know how to connect all the dots. That was how he described it to uh, during this lecture. Um, and that would make sense because Yamahai, as we know from hopefully what, what was clear in the, the previous episode, it's differentiated from other motos by the use of water. So Mizu being water, that would make sense that it was a version of Kimoto that relied a bit more on water to control the temperatures. So yeah, that is the, the evidence for these being two completely separate types of yeast starter. So yeah, I, I, we, we do know that, that some modern brewers will use that term Mizumoto to refer to this same style as Bodaimoto. And I actually kind of looked into that because it, 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 I found it interesting how these, these terms kind of grew together. And the earliest reference I could find for Mizumoto used for what we understand to be Bonaimoto now is uh, from s the early Taisho period. Uh, as of 1910, 
a book called The New Sanshu Nyo Saishin Seishuren Joho, or I'm New Methods. <laughs> the, the kanji is ridiculous. Like, it, yeah. It's, it's basically a handwritten academic journal about uh, lactic acid. And, and the title kind of translates to New Methods for Making Seishu Using Lactic Acid. The book is available in a really, really crappy scan online. It's, it's not fun to read, but it has an extremely detailed description of Boraimoto, what we, what we understand to be Boraimoto, of this uh, Soyashi Mizu starter method, and it calls it Mizumoto. The, the sake researcher Horie Shuji mentions this in his book, Nihonshu no Kitamichi as well, that at, at least as into the Taisho period, people had made that sort of transfer. But clearly, you know, th there's some kind of, uh, I don't know, mistake, or it could even be, I guess, just speaking as, as, as the, uh, the historical, historic linguist that lives deep inside me, it could just be a parallel evolution, right? Because you've got Mizumoto being this idea of uh, creating a starter using lots of water, what then Bodaimoto also uses that Soyashi Mizu, that so Mizu plays a, a key role in that brewing process as well. So it could just be a parallel development, or it could be concatenation, it could be folk etymology, who knows. But somewhere along the line, these two got confused. And it so that's morphed into one, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And now that kind of brings us to the modern period, because as I said, there was a clear awareness of this method as late as 1910. Like it, it's saying, you know, new methods for using lactic acid. Like this was at the beginning of, of sort of Japan's big scientific jump, right? It was modernizing and they were more aware of things like, you know, microbiology. And so they were using these new techniques to look at old things. And he was looking at sake brewing, bodaimoto, in 1910. And so that kind of brings us into this, this modern effort because I think a lot of people have this idea that bodaimoto was this dead thing that somehow got resurrected in the new uh, sake brewing industry. And it's not exactly the way things played out. Right? Yeah, I would go as one step further than that as well, I think most people probably think that it was brought back to life thanks to brewers in Nara, and that would also be incorrect. So, <laughs> right. So, there's a, there's a big story with that, but yeah. it, it was not the Nara um, brewers that, that brought this back. Yeah, right. it, was, it was somewhere altogether different so here's let's just dive right into this because uh this is how i think a lot of people who come to bodaimoto in in international second market come into it they have they have this this narrative there is a group in nara which was where shorakuji did sort of develop this method called the nara ken bodaimoto ni yoru seishu seizo kenkyu kai <laughs> 
the Nara Prefecture Association for Creating Sake Using Bodai Moto Methods. They, they like to use Bodai Ken for short. And they have a, a very nice English language website about how they did how this happened. And people say, uh, you know, they, they got together and they, they got cooperation from uh, Shorakuji to recreate this lost method, except it wasn't lost. Uh, no. it, it, it had already been on the market for over a decade by the time they did that. Right? Yeah, so th <laughs> this this obviously I, I do happen to know this story quite well being a former resident of Okayama, you can't not notice that there is there is a brand that you see all over the place round about the, the beginning of spring when it's being released. And it, it, it's Bodaimoto and it's from Tsuji Honten in the north of Okayama, absolutely beautiful part of the world, Katsuyama, and an absolutely equally beautiful brewery. But they were making Bodaimoto back in the late 80s, I think was the first batches of this coming out. And they still use the Bodaimoto name to this day, despite the fact that really you're, you know, out with Nara, there are no one nobody else legally using that name on their sake so there, there's clearly a story there and i've been been lucky to 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 hear what that story was but the family the sujis that own suji honten because they're very famous for the brand gozenshu one of their family members is is british and happened to be a japanese antique stealer and he came across a very famous book, which these, these books were greatly circulated during the Edo period, called the Nihon Sankaime Zue. And it basically means picture book of the mountains and seas of Japan. Now, these these were regional. These There, were, there was lots of these. There was one specific for Tokyo. There's one specific for Kyoto. But this is a kind of general one. And they believe that it was actually written by a brewery owner in Setsu province. This is where Itami and Nada are nowadays. And it goes into a lot of detail about brewing processes. And there's, it's a, as the name would suggest, it's a picture book, effectively. So it shows you all these processes in picture form. But one of them, interestingly, the text one, was a process for Bodaimoto. And this family member brought this back to Japan as a gift for the then Toji of Tsuji Honten, uh, Harada Toji. Uh, he worked there for, for 40 years. And they came up with this idea, well, wouldn't it be interesting to, to resurrect one of these old styles? And that's when they started doing the test batches for Bodaimoto. And they've been making it ever since. But this is where it starts to get a little bit, maybe, maybe the facts aren't quite right, but what appears to have happened is a priest from Nara, eh, from Shorakuji, from the temple, was shopping one day in Kurashiki in Okayama and saw this Bodaimoto Nigori and thought, what on earth is this? Like they, they presumed that no one was making this before. So he, you know, did his homework, found out who it was. And it was him that came back to, to the Nara Brewers Associations and said, look, why aren't you guys making this as well? And that was what prompted the Nara people to, to start making it. So, so yeah, it came from, you know, a prefecture that, has nothing, no connections with Nara or any way, shape or form. It was, they were the, the, the source of this, this revival of 
Bodaimoto. And that is why they are allowed to use that name even today, because it was them that started it. So you can't then sort of t- take it away from them too easily. So, And just to sort of support Andy here, um, Andy's not making that story up. There's, there is literally a document linked from the Bodaiken website that talks about exactly that happening, right? It was uh, 1988. And the thing that, that, that gets me about this that I'm not really exactly clear on is the information was out there. It was there. There are recipes and, and, and guides and all kinds of information that could be found. But they established a research group in Nara to come up with a new method based on old information. And they worked together with sake breweries in Nara and with the, the temple, Shoryakuji, and put together this style that they then named Bodaimoto. And, and they came up with rules as to who can use that name. But I don't think it's legal. Like, I don't think that there's any legal repercussions to using the name without following the rules other than just kind of bad juju in the, in the industry. They may have trademarked it. They may have sort of that kind of, they can sue if you use it, but it's not like, uh, government labeling laws saying who can and can't do it. Yeah, I, I don't want to be negative towards, you know, the, the association and what have you, but there, there are a few points where, you know, there's the, something doesn't seem quite right about it. They've, they've taken this brewing technique, it was first started in, in Nara in, you know, in, back when we, we talked about earlier. But it's it's a brewing method effectively, but the the definition that they've come up with relates specifically to how you make soyashi mizu. So you have to use the water at the Shorakuji Temple. Now, what's interesting is part of their definition. A couple of things maybe maybe are not quite clear when you see this. You know this this logo is yes, it does need to be made with water at Shorakuji Temple to get that seal and to get that mark. But it could also be lactic acid that's been isolated previously. It, it, it actually lists that on their website. So they can actually add that lactic acid to the water. Probably lactic acid bacteria is what they're meaning, but previously isolated. Or they can do it the natural way. They're allowed to do both. It is written there. that the, the stipulations that are part of this, I suppose it's almost like an appellation really, what they've done to it, is the, the production of this solution, the soyashimizu. There isn't anything, uh, you know, that they can trademark it other than that. There are no stipulations about how the brewing is done after that. So they would make this solution at the Shorakuji temple, and then it would get split up to, I think it's eight brewers, and then they would all take it back to their breweries and do whatever they want with it. So that's how it goes. But the, the one thing, again, I don't want to put a pin in this whole thing, but they aren't actually making it to the, to the original method. The original method quite clearly states in the, as we mentioned before, the Goshu no Niki, that they didn't just use raw rice, they used cooked rice and raw rice. And that actually leads us on to one of its other names. So 
So the, it was actually called Ikakimoto. That's another name for it, Ikakimoto. And that's also written in the Domo Shuzoki. And that makes reference to a bamboo basket that they would put this cooked rice, what they called otai, that would get put into this basket and then submerged into the water. And that's why they called it that name as at the same time as Bodaimoto. So th the fact that they are now, they've redefined it effectively, that it's all non-cooked rice, you know, namagome, raw rice, that's a very modern aspect to this production method. That is not the traditional method. Now it does state the reasons why that they've now through modern science they know that they can get the same lactic acid fermentation or or they get close to it without the cooked rice. But back then they wouldn't have known that. But you have to you have to think that it would make some difference to the taste. So yeah it's worth pointing that out that this definition is a modern and b only conforms to, to one part of the process, the soyashimizu part. And C, it isn't to the, the same standard, or not standard, that would be the wrong word. I'll say that again. Mm -hmm. It isn't to the same method as the, the original way of doing it. Yeah. Now, what this has done is a couple of things. So the, the Bodaiken established a, a very specific method and they established a, a a kind of seal, like a trademark that you can put on your bottle if you are part of this group. And in doing so, I guess they have created an awareness of Boraimoto, of the Soyashimizu style. And that's exactly what they wanted to do, right? So this idea of they brought this lost process back so that we could have sake that was that was made in this way, it's not exactly what they even state their goal to be on their own website. Basically what they said is that they did this to create interest in Narasake. I mean, it's, it's a regional revitalization effort, which is great, which is wonderful. And, and I, I, I wish them all the better for it. But at the same time, by kind of making this rather strict guideline on using a specific process that let's just be perfectly honest was really widespread back in the day i i was reading what was it that our our favorite book andy the uh the nada brewer's uh vocabulary book and now like, well-worn uh, book yes and uh it, it was saying like it was spread all the way from tohoku shikoku the chugoku region like basically all of japan people were making this into the early 1900s. So to say that now people can't use that process and call it Bodaimoto because we have a club in Nara is kind of a, I don't know, that's that, that kind of maybe brings us back to uh, Mizumoto, right? Because, you know, people people need something to call it. And so, you know, Mizumoto is a, is a recognizable way to, to refer to the process, which is not trademarked. The process is there. Anybody can do it. Uh, people know how to do it. They just can't yeah. use that name. That, yeah, that I, has... I have no problem nowadays with people using Mizumoto. I mean, it's just it would just be pedantic to say, look, it's although it isn't the, the right term, <laughs> you know, it really isn't. Uh -huh. And no, it, yeah, it, I mean, it is pedantic. It's also true, but but you know, yeah. It, I mean, <laughs> trust me, if you ever meet Ishikawa Tatsuya-san, he will point that out to just about anyone that will listen that they are not the same. But 
it is what it is. We're here now. The, the brewers have got to, to have an alternative because they're not allowed to use Bodai Moto. So I'm perfectly fine with people using Mizumoto. And there are a lot of Mizumoto sake out there now. They're, they're, you know, they're popping up in quite a lot of places. You know, there's Tenondu Mizumoto and there's some brewers in Nada, in Nara, sorry, that have to use the Mizumoto name because they're obviously not part of the, the specific club that the Bodai can. And I believe you've got an even more interesting <laughs> or creative name down there in Yamaguchi. I don't know if you want it to Gokyo, tell. right. So as always, I am going to have to mention Gokyo here because Gokyo did in fact make a, uh, a version of this and they called it Soyashi Mizuzukuri. So there you go. They just they just cut right through it. There's no they just went straight to the point, didn't straight they? to the point. We use Soyashimizu in this, and so there you go. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, no one can stop you doing the process. Just the name is yeah. is the part the point. So if it has to be Mizumoto now that we go with, then then so be it. Right, and you know, I I don't want to come across as denigrating the work that the Bodaiken has done. I, I I am quite a fan of some of the sakes. My recommended sake today is in fact one of those sakes. Um, I think it's important just to know that, like I said, to sort of get past the mythology of it. Yeah. You know, this this isn't some ancient mystical Buddhist rite that has been revived after centuries of disuse. No, it was a commercial product that went out of favor in the early Taisho, probably because of Sokujo. I mean, it, the timing, right? It, it 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 was popular enough that people knew about it up till 1910, which just happened to be when Sokujo came out. I think more, out... more though, so than that would be Kimoto as well, though. Bear, bear in mind when this moto was was prevalent all over the place, when it was the, the only show in town, they were brewing almost all year round. Kimoto is far better suited for winter brewing. And of course, that was one of the, the many sumptuary laws that came in through the, the Tokugawa shogunate that, you know, they wanted to control the supplies of the flow of um, distribution of rice. So they went to winter brewing. As we know, it was nothing other than a, you know, political decision back then. And Kimoto is, was deemed and is a better method for winter brewing than Soyashi Mizu, or, or sorry, Soyashi Tsukuri. I think we should all call it that now by the Goku. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that probably had a, a very big impact on on its downfall as well. I don't know. It it wasn't lost. It it just stopped being made. Like there's records of it. It was ra rather well defined. People in the industry knew about it. It just took someone to say, "Hey, why don't we try this?" And then they tried it. And it works, and it and it makes great sake. And I think that that that's something that should be embraced. That this idea of resurrecting something is a bit overblown, but touching on those roots, on that history, and on, and on that culture is absolutely laudable, and frankly makes for some great sake. So, yeah. you know, thank you for bringing that awareness. But let's not worship the Bodaiken for for doing something other than what they did. Something that is genuinely praiseworthy from, from the, the Bodaiken, although I'm not sure how much it's to do with the Bodaiken and probably more to do with one specific brewer, Yucho Shuzo, very famous 
for making Kaze no Mori. <laughs> but they have just released a sake with the name Bodai Sen. And it is a recreation of that recipe from the Goshun Oniki. So right the way back, the original method. Wow. And they, they made it in, a, you know, a ceramic tsubo or kame. They made it one dan, so it was just one stage, because obviously you're not going to do three stage in a small vessel like that. Knowing Kaze no Mori, I'm pretty sure that they would have done it to the T. So they've done it with cooked rice and also the, the raw rice. Mm -hmm. And they've they've recreated this sake and it was released recently under that brand, the Bodai Sen. The only drawback is that it's 15,000 yen for a uh, Yongo bean bottle, which unfortunately, <laughs> as much as I was tempted, just takes it a little bit out of my price range and it will not be my recommendation tonight. Yeah, that, that, that basically triples it triples my uh highest my limit. Yeah. yeah so but but it's, there, it's there you go. to yeah. see that they're doing that though i think that's a stage that's something to me that's something very useful from if it was the bodai ken that is written on their website that it was but the, the sake is only being released from yucho shuzo it's not being done by other brewers as far as i can see i guess what that would mean is that they used that soyashi mizu from you know what they have this what is it in january they get together and they make a big batch of soyashi mizu at the temple and then split it up and then everybody makes their thing right so they just they would have used that water yeah if they're and, using if they yeah and i guess the difference is they wouldn't have used a normal tank they've used you know, cer mm -hmm. you know a ceramic tubo uh, for anyone it wasn't what a tubo is it looks like a big vase effectively and that was what they used you know, for, for Soboshu, for Temple Sake. How how big how big was the vase, do you know? Because that, well, that, that's a big issue. Well, interesting. We actually have them at our brewery. We, they're scattered about. I mean, we've got four or five of them. And some of them are from Bizen, because mm -hmm. Bizen would obviously been, you know, at one point, almost everything was Bizen Yaki. And certainly where we are in close proximity to Bizen as well. But some of them were made locally. They are about two thirds of my height. Mm -hmm. They're almost as tall as our Toji. So they're, they're, they're big. They're like human sized, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're not the same size as a tank. They're, you know, nowhere near it. I would say in terms of capacity. Yeah. So they're probably about the size of a small moto tank, uh, you know, a small yeast starter tank. So they're not, they're not big, but they're cumbersome and the the way that they're shaped they're quite they look quite uneasy on their feet if you will yeah so i, I believe i've seen pictures of they're not the only ones to to start brewing in these vessels i believe toko up in uh i'm terrible with uh, toko, I think region, toko they're to Koyama, Koyama Shohon Den. Uh -huh. they, they also did one but it wouldn't have been a recreation of bodai sen but they're kind of supported in like wood now you know like scaffold uh -huh. obviously to to stop these things toppling over because you definitely wouldn't want that happening midway through through a ferment but it's really cool to see that type of you know going one stage further than you know wooden tanks is to go back to these um you know kame you know ceramic vessels just to see what kind of impact that has and what impact you know not using dan kake stage mashing has as well so that that kind of thing to me is a real positive part to 
to come out of the study of all this old literature that we have available to us. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. I guess it's 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 a matter of consciousness of of thinking uh, of recognizing the value and the resources that 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 still exist in these old documents. Absolutely. Right. So now, having talked about <laughs> all of these different sakes made in this traditional style, I guess people can probably guess what our recommendations are. But Andy, you, do you have a bodai moto to recommend? Or a, a Suyashi Mizuzukuri to recommend? Well, like this is usually the part of the, the show where I say that this was an easy choice. This was not an easy choice today <laughs> for two reasons. In all honesty, I haven't tried that many of these styles of sake. Bodaimoto is, you know, probably the scarcest style that you're gonna find out there. I, I can probably count on one hand the amount of different sake that I've, I've tried in Bodaimoto but as much as I loved the one from Yucho Shuzo they, they do a fantastic version of Bodaimoto and I guess that's the the birthplace of it and you know that's the one I should pick but I have to give it to Tsuji Honten's uh, Bodaimoto Nigori I, I drank this a lot when I was in Okayama it's very popular locally as well and Towards the end of my time in Okayama, it was actually getting quite hard to, to buy it because they released it as Nama in Okayama. I'm not sure if they do elsewhere, but they released it in Isho Beans as, as Nama. And they were very, that, that was the hot ticket if you could get a bottle of this stuff. Uh, and I was lucky to to track this stuff down. So I'm, it's it's one of my kind of seasonal buys, if you will. And it's fantastic. How is it different from the, the typical stuff that you're going to get in Nara? Because obviously it's quite varied in Nara anyway. I would say it's slightly more refined than, than the, the typical Bodai Moto that you're going to get from Nara. The production process is slightly different. They use, I believe, hopefully I've got this correct, but I believe Maiko-san, the Toji, she only uses Koji. So she doesn't use cooked rice or you know rories she uses koji and that's what they they submerse in this water i've been lucky enough to see the tank it doesn't look particularly attractive at that stage but it, it does look very sour and um, but perhaps that's why it's got a slightly more refined character to it than the ones in nara that are using you know this water from a temple which in all honesty, may not be the best water for brewing with. We don't know that. So, so yeah, that would be my recommendation. It's, it's, it's a, obviously it's nigori. I tend to find with nigori, sometimes they can be a little bit sweet for my taste, but there's something about the sourness that you get from the Bodaimoto method that just ties it all together so well. And it just gives you that, that kind of ref, almost refreshing, you know, aftertaste. So, so yeah, that would be my recommendation. Bodaimoto Nigori from Suji Honten in Katsuyama, Okayama. There you go. And my recommendation is the other one. Yucho Shuzo's Takacho. Takacho, there you go. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I'll, I'm with Andy. Like, I haven't had a lot of them. I've had, I would, I think, four, four Bodaimoto Sake in my life. And um, this is the one that really just, just hits the spots that I like, it has this, it's really rich, full, lots of cereal flavors to it. it. 
I think they age it. They must age it because it's you can golden. buy both yeah. on on my favorite website because I, I I do like that sake as well. And it, like I said, it was a tough choice tonight, but yeah, they they offer it as aged nama. I think when we spoke about this, I bought one that was that's like right three years aged. Yeah, you yeah, and yeah, it was like you know dried apricot in a glass. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But I've got to give it to Okayama, but sorry. Yeah. No worries. But yes, those are our recommendations. Absolutely great sake. Uh, our takeaway, the takeaway is this. Myths make for good narratives, but reality can be just as compelling. And the reality is this is a method for making delicious sake that people can make all over Japan. It doesn't have to be from any one region. And if you get a chance, try it from all over because you're going to find an enormous variety of extremely interesting sake. Stop right there. Andy and I have a special emergency announcement. As of March, Sake Deep Dive has a Patreon. Patreon, whatever you want to call it. We have two tier levels and you can get all of the details on our website. It's very exciting. And if you are willing and able to support us, Anything that you can do to help get out the word and, and keep Sake Deep Dive growing and expanding will be greatly appreciated. Here, here. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. As always, uh, we appreciate your time and attention. If you want to give us some support, uh, feel free to write a review, tell your friends, spread the word. You can find us on our website, www.sakedeepdive.com, all one word. I am on Twitter almost all the time, probably far too much, at Jim underscore D underscore Ryan. That's R-I-O-N. Uh, Andy? I'm just as guilty as Jim with Twitter, although I'm on Instagram far too much. You can find me at www.originsake.com, and that has links to my various social media channels but yeah instagram is the best way to find me well it was good talking to you andy and no uh, i hope hope the season goes well and everyone out there stay safe stay happy and stay drinking come by come by